Hello, everybody. Welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. I hope everybody's swell. I haven't been putting out podcasts because of other, you know, things happening in life, because that's what life is. And um, I have a wonderful guest for us today. He is Jeffrey Spivak, and he wrote the book Buzz, The Life and Art of Busby Berkeley. And this book is fabulous because we all know Busby Berkeley, even if you're not a musical fan, whatever. Hello there, Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, well, hello there. And I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for coming. Jeffrey and I had a date last month, hence things came up, and I haven't done a podcast since. So now we are finally getting together, and I'm thrilled, Jeffrey. And I enjoyed the book a lot because all I knew about him, and I'm not a musical fan, I have to tell you, um, but those things, I remember watching it, you know, like Saturday afternoon or something, and they would play old movies from a Boston station from Massachusetts, and all of a sudden I would watch that, and I would be so fascinated. I, I would be just entranced by, you know, these legs going and this and the, the way he made all those things. It was amazing. And um, so we all know Busby in that way, which is, uh, being a... Uh, dance director correct he's not not a choreographer that that is correct you know as he would be the first one to uh, bristle at the term choreographer because a choreographer was somebody who taught the dancing girls the different steps to take and every studio in those days in berkeley's days especially the heyday of his career in the 1930s every studio had a choreographer who taught the girls the steps Busby Berkeley was a man whose name I instantly identifies the work that he did. When you talk today and, and a director says, I'd like to do a Busby Berkeley shot or a Busby Berkeley number, you might be talking like to Lynn Manuel uh, Manuel Miranda, who did In the Heights. Right. And he had that kind of Busby Berkeley shot. So yes, that's that's uh, you know he's identifiable by the work he did. Yeah, and it's that's how people that's how people know the name. Although I found out in the book, uh, you know, the original hardcover Grace came out about ten years ago, and the paperback, the ten-year anniversary of the book, came out in paperback just at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. And I found out there are groups of people that w one either know the name instantly and can visually imagine a top shot with chorus girls and kaleidoscopic patterns That's amazing or there's the other group that kind of maybe heard the name thinks it's a funny alliterative name but really doesn't know anything about them but the thing they all shared was the fact that almost nobody knew the real story behind the man he was so much more than his work amen and this is what this book tells us and i had no you know he's he's fascinating guy behind you know, all of his wonderful musicals and stuff. And so you give everybody a, a peek into his life, which I, you know, I was totally into this book and I loved it. And I had to reread it because of a month ago. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> this old gray mare just ain't what she used to be with the brain. But um, I loved it both times. <laughs> I have well, to say. Good. I'm glad uh, the book itself has received outstanding reviews. Uh, which is something that, you know, I, I was very, very pleased to receive. Uh, the idea being that even Hollywood, all these years later, came a-knocking on my door. Uh, in 2014, Warner Brothers had contacted me and said they'd like to film a Busby Berkeley story and uh, put Ryan Gosling in the lead. And that was uh, now eight years ago. So what has happened since then is that uh, the option to film the yes. book has gone through many hands, and it looks like there may be some good news around the corner Yay. of what may happen for a Busby Berkeley feature film of his life. There's never been one. And this guy, as you'll agree, has a great life story. Oof, yes. Good, bad, and ugly. It's amazing. And, yep. okay, so what, and congratulations. I can't tell you how many of people I've interviewed, and they've done wonder. you know, they've written beautiful books that I love. And they've been contacted, too, and I know that whole, you know, getting it done kind of thing options and so um, I really hope this comes through because it 
It would be fascinating, really. Uh, yeah, yes, I think so. And everyone agrees that uh, there's a good enough story that would really translate well to the big screen. Big time. Big, big, big time. Okay, so why don't you start off telling us a little about um, Busby's, he, he was born into an acting family, right? He was born into a showbiz family. Right. Yes, his father was a writer and director, and his mother was considered in those days the grand dame <laughs> of the theater. And this is And when. so she was. She was the big roles. And the fact that she once played Lady Macbeth as a teenager oh, ought to wow. tell you the kind of <laughs> uh, persona that extended beyond the footlights. She was a, and Busby, uh, hit her son, was uh, born in a trunk, as they say, as the old cliche goes, born backstage. Uh, Truly? While Gertrude, while Gertrude Berkeley <laughs> uh, did, you know, perform on stage, she went backstage, and not literally, she, he was born in a hospital, but he was raised backstage on, on the trunk of the great actress, and she would go back in between acts and tend to her son. And he was there, and he stood in the wings and watched her, uh, as an actress, and uh, she herself had uh, emotional issues Boy, that I point out in the book, yes. and uh, and then lost her husband uh, at a young age. Very ironically, and, right? Because she was, I'm not saying that uh, on the day that she died, she was starting a show about a woman who's just coming home from her husband's funeral. That's right. And she was dressed in mourning attire. Mm -hmm. And it was very strange. And it all came true uh, that her worst uh, nightmare was realized. And uh, Busby himself uh, had written in his own memoirs of what happened on that day. And by the way, they call him Buzz. The title of the book is Buzz, in that uh, everyone but his mother called him Buzz. Only his mother and only the motion picture business on the credit list used the name Busby. But if you knew him and you were on the set, everyone called him Buzz. Okay. Even his director's chair said Buzz Berkeley. Well, I like that. That's kind of, <laughs> it's like groovy and cool. I like Buzz, so I'll call him Buzz for the rest of it. So, oh, the, he, he was definitely a cool Buzz if there ever was one. But, <laughs> He's fabulous. But, you know, his mother was a guiding light to him. And after he uh, got out of the war, he served in uh, World War I. After he got out, uh, he, along with his mother, you know, uh, made the rounds, and she decided not to go back on stage, yet he decided to go in that direction. And an acting career led to a directing career, led to directing on Broadway, led to a train ride to Hollywood and Eddie Cantor for the film Whoopi. And the rest, as they say, is history. Right. And, of course, Mommy Gertrude was along because he had promised her that he would always take care of her and oh he was the ultimate mama's oh, boy and i don't want to look at that term as in a, in a bad light because you know it kind of can color somebody but he was a doting son if there ever was one. yeah you know there is some point when you are a mama's boy deluxe and that's what yes. our buzz was <laughs> it, it, in some cases his ex-wives yeah. the many that he did have <laughs> that i point out specifically in the book yeah you know one one accused him of being a mama's boy in a court of that's law that's a riot <laughs> I, I love that it reminds me jeffrey did you ever see the movie um it just was on uh, i think it's only played twice on tcm last year and i have it on dvr it's called the silver string the silver string that doesn't sound familiar well, it's because nobody really sees it but it's great and it's about this mother this freako who <laughs> my sons are my romantic life after their father left and there one is going to be engaged the other one's married and it's just amazing to see this grotesque mother and would, would you mind could it possibly be the silver cord oh yes 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 with laura hope cruz oh yes do you know what and i'm talking I mean, about i did see that film because it was directed by one of my favorites john cromwell oh, I love and she's too. a very clinging mother in that film oh and it's an excellent picture and i agree with you 
And everybody <laughs> should watch this because it is really like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I say to Irene Dunn, run for your life. Why do you want this guy after you see him with his mother? Scram, baby. And, and you know, it's one of the few times I've seen the, the actress Laura Hope Cruz uh, most famous for playing Aunt Pity Pad in Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yes. That's where I remember her. She was fabulous. Anyway, back to yes. Buzz and Mom. So yes. he starts and he does that um, film with Mr. Al Jolson. And yes. wasn't that a Broadway thing as well? It was, and Berkeley didn't want to go out to California. He he saw the kind of movies that were done in the sound era, 1927, 28, 29, and he saw them, you know, the, the camera that just stays at the end of the stage, doesn't move, the girls that are kind of dancing in front of the camera side by side, and that's about the end of the artistic achievement of those early musicals, and Berkeley saw them. He didn't want to go out there. But he got a nice promise from friends, said, come out to the coast. Uh, you know, Jolson uh, likes what he sees, you know, from some of the stuff he's seen you work on Broadway. His name was already big out there. So he did. And he went out uh, specifically to work on Whoopi and then back again to New York because he was not planning on staying there. But, uh, you know, his work could not be denied. Even in that early picture, you see his, you know, his great influence. There's a great top shot, you know, about two minutes into the film. So uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, through his ignorance, he got to be a master. Nobody told him that, you know, you should have multiple cameras on a soundstage. His idea was one camera is all I need. What do I need? A camera here, there, and, and, and placed all different positions around the set. I'll move my camera, I'll get my shot, and we'll move it to another place, and I'll get that shot, and I'll do it in order, so the editor hardly has any work to do. And that was his technique, and to this day, Grace, he stood by that technique through all of his motion pictures, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, a single camera, and no real appreciative special effects. Uh, that were done, certainly not electronically. They didn't have no. that, but uh, it was all done and usually created completely in his own mind. Yeah, while he was in the bathtub. <laughs> often, <laughs> often with, with a drink on the ledge. A absolutely. martini, yes, of yes, course. Absolutely. That, yeah. that is the rumor, and it's true. Um, you know, you see these, and like you say, it's it's no special effects, but man, these, these uh, chorus girls... They, you know, they have to be precision. They're amazing doing this stuff. And when you look from above, you know, he's making flowers. One of them reminded me of ravioli. And I'm <laughs> getting hungry when they went into one. And it's beautiful. And uh, um, one can only imagine how much rehearsal they went through. Yeah. Because Berkeley was somewhat of a tyrant in his direction. So, you know, he'd, he'd really be flustered if a girl was out of step when they so rehearsed a shot just to get it right. But, you know, uh, rehearse he did. And if you ever saw the magnificent aquacade by a waterfall from Footlight Parade with Jimmy Cagney and Ruby Keeler, if you ever saw that musical number in the water, there is nothing like it and nothing has ever been duplicated, even by Busby Berkeley's own standards. Yeah, it's it's amazing because they showed so it wasn't really a biography of him. It was a biography of his work. And um, they did. I think I saw mostly all of it and they were amazing. And yeah, that was I, the water thing. And, you know, the, all these women. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know how it was ever achieved, how no one was ever killed, how no one was ever, you know, in all oh, of these. It's because of that uh, crucial rehearsal that he did. Uh, I've seen many pictures where he has a gigantic blackboard during the rehearsal stage uh, of putting together a number and showing the girls where, what he had in mind and that kind of thing. And Ruby Keeler, you know, who, you know, made her name in Busby Berkeley pictures, uh, you know, said often that she didn't realize what Buzz was trying to do because he would work in little snippets, film this, move the camera there. Ruby, we need you. Ruby, we don't need you in this shot. And she never realized until the actual finished uh, number was shown on the big screen. Uh, but that was his technique. He was he was tough. He was demanding. He was exacting. But then again, he worked a single camera with really no appreciable special effects, which is amazing. 
And I, mean, yeah. I have I mean, to give major props to the ladies, too, and the gentlemen who did these things, because they were <laughs> really, I mean, I know that he was a strickler here, like a Gene Kelly guy, but um, they were amazing to be able to do that. Um, you know, his numbers, you know, were the height uh, of popularity at Warner Brothers, so much so, Grace, that at a time he was getting more fan letters across the country than any star at Warner Brothers, wow. and that includes uh, Betty Davis and George Brent and Clark some of the Cable, big stars, right? and uh, yeah, and Cagney. Uh, they they knew instantly that although Busby Berkeley didn't necessarily direct the movies, it was his numbers that they waited for, and uh, and normally you'd have to wait until a movie's final half hour to see those great numbers. They were stacked one after the other. But those numbers themselves were like miniature movies unto themselves. They had nothing really to do with the storyline, which was different than like, say, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, who would be in a, in a scene and then start singing about the scene that they're in. You know, nothing as abstract as Busby Berkeley. Right. It's just sort of, here we go there, and now here's Busby. Um, and people remember it as like, yeah, it's a Busby Berkeley picture. We know, you know, in other words, even though the film was directed by somebody else and, you know, and when the people left the theater in those days in the late mid to late thirties, they walked out thinking, my goodness, uh, that was a great Busby Berkeley picture. What was the story about again? <laughs> and who starred in it? <laughs> I don't yes. know. But um, he, he moved with Gertrude and he met his first wife, Esther. Yes, and uh, Esther Muir was an actress, uh -huh. and uh, you can see her. You can see her in *The Day at the Races* with Groucho Marx. Uh -huh. uh, she was a big, tall woman, and just one of many uh, that he married. Uh, you know, the idea of uh, the casting couch in in old Hollywood is certainly a true, true story. And uh, Berkeley uh, took advantage of it with his, you know constant interfacing and casting of chorus girls oh yeah you know he, he had to check their knees that cracked me oh, up he, absolutely <laughs> he would say he, he would he'd be there in the office and sitting in his chair and a producer would be there next and a girl would come in and she wanted to dance for a busby and you know he would have her pull up the skirt and show her legs and he would you know kind of wink and uh, turn to his producer partner and say oh no we have to go a little higher with the skirt than that and oh buzz oh mr berkeley can you imagine how it was treated back then? Mm. But it was a different world, and girls did what they did. And many of them, uh, you know, uh, found the way to the uh, soundstage via the casting couch. As just did a, gentlemen. You know, that's just the way it is. As did some gentlemen. And probably, too. Absolutely. Yes. I, I wouldn't bat an, eye, an eyelash if I found out that no. was true, too. <laughs> no. I mean, it it works right a lot of times yes. anyway what about toby wing i want to get to her before we get to his marriage he put her in a, a number um with william powell she was a chorus girl i think she was 16 or something when he met her you're and, thinking of dick powell oh dick powell yes william mm -hmm. powell is uh, i know i love him <laughs> I think he's dreamy yeah <laughs> i knew i was gonna do that because i wrote it down <laughs> william powell and then i had to Yes, out. you're thinking of uh, Young and Healthy, the musical number? Yes. Yes. You know, she was called the girl with the face of the morning sunshine. Yes. She just had that beautiful face. And uh, she also appears in other Berkeley numbers, uh, you know, as one of the girls. If you look and see some, uh, actually, she makes an appearance in, uh, uh, you know, some early Berkeley pictures with Eddie Cantor. Uh, and uh, she's Toby Wing and uh, uh, is a wonderful star, a little star. She's... Uh, uh, and does a beautiful job in that musical number, A Young and Healthy, where you really see the Busby Berkeley top shot and the revolving stage. So it's the top shot plus the revolving stage, which really makes that number uh, magical. And by the way, uh, I, I in the book, I show the actual blueprints for yes. that revolving stage <laughs> that Berkeley got uh, a patent for. He actually came up with it. And Warner Brothers had the money to give him what he wanted. 50 grand, I believe it cost. It was something like that in those days, it's and like you know, just the ton. idea behind it. But yes. you know, it, you know, he couldn't get the money elsewhere. But Warner Brothers finally believed in him, and he used it a few times. But really, just fantastic. It was first used there in that number, uh, Young and Healthy, with Toby Wing. Yes. So he and Esther, you know, he's always busy. Buzz is always busy. 
because he <laughs> works and he also, you know, philanders even be, you know, when he's married, yes. when he's not. So he meets Esther and they actually have a do a wedding date. He mentions a cruise, honeymoon cruise and mom was guess who was coming? Mom. Of course. <laughs> and it was totally threes a crowd. He married Esther. Hes- Esther, yes. Esther and He just Esther wasn't happy. And he would complain to mom, um, Gertrude. She was the sounding board. She was his Jump uh, off. <laughs> one one person, uh, you know, rooting Stan. You know, she was there for him like he was there for her. Again, this is, you know, not unheard of that he had a second location to live, but he put his mother up in a gigantic mansion that I happened to visit when I was doing oh, research did. for the book. And it's a one. It's beautiful. Still, so many things are still uh, hanging on the walls. And I saw the actual ramp that he built for his mother when she was in a wheelchair, uh, and the screening room in the basement cool. where he had set up for her. So uh, it, it was a wonderful thing to see. But yes, I mean, he, you know, he Berkeley was joked one time that you know, Mr. Berkeley, how many times you were married? He said, I've been married six times, and I can't remember all their names. Well, I believe that. It, <laughs> it is true, and it wasn't, you know. Life was good to him at the end in that he married an old family friend in the late 1950s that stayed with him for the rest of his life, longer than any marriage he had. And he never was happier living in a small little house in Palm Desert, California, away from Hollywood, away from the mansion that he had back in the 30s. Uh, He was happier than he ever had been. And it seemed like uh, he ended his life uh, on a satisfying for him uh, note and that his life had turned out exactly the way he wanted it to, which is great. And that's great. Yeah, he could have he could have died in poverty and in infamy. Boy, and who knows? Or in, a, or in that or in that horrible car accident right, in the nineteen thirties, which was very horrible. So in the divorce, his wife said that he ripped in public. He ripped her dress off of her because he was so <laughs> steamy and I think drunk. And she, that's when she mentioned that he was a mama's boy. And that was, yeah. like, very embarrassing <laughs> for him, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, yes, it was. You know, he was the wrong guy to think, you know, he, you're going to be married to life with, with the kind of chorus girls he sees on a daily basis and the temptations of Hollywood. Yes, uh, and also know, going home to mama. <laughs> and, and exactly it. And, you know, making sure his mother was comfortable and happy you know, a- after her, you know, somewhat volatile life in her own right. Right, which and, was nice. And uh, which, you know, like I said, a dutiful son, that's certainly what he was. But yeah, he married, you know, Myrna Kennedy, who was a great actress uh, uh, and worked for Charlie Chaplin, among other films uh, uh, that she did. And uh, and Claire James, who was, uh, a, uh, I think, Miss California, a real beauty. He met her and, when she was 15 and he was, what, 42? Oh, there's a possibility, you know, there was an age difference, but again, Hollywood, the thirties, the forties, really, it's, it's kind of a Bacchanalian town, you know, and always has been since the silent era. But it's Uh, funny because, you know, like with Errol Flynn, but she didn't charge him with rape, but as a, yeah, later the, is it just because mother approves and that doesn't get like a big, not his mother. I mean, her mother says it's okay. She has permission at 15 years yes. old to go that's, out with a 42-year-old. That's, that's usually it, you know. And uh, like I said, even the silent stars uh, were known for infamous behavior. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't unheard of. No. Oh, I want to talk about a movie he did. And you're like, eh. this is one of, I have to say, if you ever look up reviews of this movie, it's a pre-code one. She had to say yes. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, when I have people who, you know, like old movies or just don't, I still make them watch a little bit of this. It is such a gross movie. You have to read um, pre-code uh, people who review this. I was stunned. I mean, there were, it was a miserable ending. It's so just women hatred it's just terrible movie yeah oh there there was that kind of misogyny that goes with you know rich people can do that it was an interesting film in berkeley's career in that it came out in 1933 and he had already you know made a couple of musical pictures for warner brothers and he was begging them you know let me direct the drama my own film 
and they said, Buzz, we'll give it, uh, give you a drama, but you got to co-direct it. And so he did with his friend, uh, George Amy, who was a director on the lot at Warner. So he and Buzz together directed She Had to Say Yes, and he learned uh, more things about putting together uh, dialogue sequences than just musical numbers. There, there were no top shots in She Had to Say no, Yes. No, not at all. This was a drama. It shows, you know, what a woman, you know, in this case, a very young uh, Loretta Young, uh, and what she had to go through. And uh, there are other films of that type. Yes, I love uh, Baby Face uh, oh is another God. one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, about a girl, uh, you know, who will do anything who and sleep their way to the top. With that our kind of abs. story. Oh, so wonderful. I love pre-code um, movies. I think they're fabulous. Me too. Um, so, Myrna splits only after four months. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, Two Hollywood stars clashing. What do you, you know, like that doesn't happen today? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. And also, all of them, I think, pretty much said that he was never home. You know, that he, he just didn't show up. But she was she was the one who really wanted to get the dough from him. Is that the one? Yeah, well, yeah, she wanted to be paid back for this or that and fur coats. <laughs> oh, yeah, that things. was funny, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I do have to bring out the dirty laundry in the book because, hey, it was presented while I was doing my research. You know, I went through a lot of old files yeah. and uh, many original old newspapers and old reportage of the times. And uh, wherever Busby Berkeley's name came up, my ears perked up. And I found this kind of, you know, tawdry kind of behavior. And it was in the press then. Sometimes it was only in the Los Angeles press. And you didn't know about it in the rest of right. the country. Luella, Luella Parsons liked him. So um, she, she, she didn't really write gross stuff about him. And if you were in with Luella, who used to be an actress, and she was still in some um, pre-code films. But let's mm -hmm. talk about the one that was 42nd Street was really his big boom, boom, yes. she shebang that really put him in the, you know, put him there on was the a film. Stage. There was a film that almost wasn't a musical. It almost wasn't. By that time, musicals had fallen out of favor. They really had. Really? You, know, you know, 1927, L. Jolson, the jazz singer, uh -huh. fantastic, big success. Other stars, they, they were normally silent. They were singing now on the big screen. People lined up to see them. Yeah. After a fashion, they grew bored of the whole thing. <laughs> they wanted good stories. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. And, and like those, like the, the musicals I mentioned earlier that Berkeley didn't really uh, care for, you know, they were kind of bland. And uh, there was a couple of good ones in the mix, but generally the public fell out of favor, so much so that many theater owners put a sign outside their marquee that said, this picture is not a musical. <laughs> Just so people wouldn't make that mistake. So they hedged their bet over there at Warner Brothers. The studio head, Daryl Zanuck, liked what he saw with Buzz Berkeley, liked the pictures he made with Eddie Cantor. He brought him over to Warner Brothers first time. And he said, Buzz, we have a story here that we're gonna go strictly dramatic but it deals with the Broadway business. If you can give us some of that magic that I saw with Eddie Cantor, we'll keep your musical numbers in here, despite what the front office is saying about musicals. Yeah, because that's and pretty so, much a drama, big time. It really is. And it could have and those musical numbers could have been cut entirely yes. because most of them appear at the very end. Yeah. But they saw Daryl Zanuck saw what he saw. Berkeley's numbers could not be denied nor dismissed and they were part of the film and the film turned out to be a monstrous hit and it saved the studio from receivership they were just about to be taken over and because of their bad financial books and it wasn't just gangster pictures they were keeping them afloat it was 42nd street followed by the gold diggers of 1933 and footlight parade and Dames and Gold Diggers of four, uh, 35. It was Busby Berkeley who started the engine at Warner Brothers, kept them out of receivership. Well, he, uh, that, the one where the woman gets, I mean, it's dark. The oh. last number is very dark. And oh. it's so good. 
But it's, it's, a, so it's a film among itself. Like yeah. I said, it's a little. <laughs> they, they, I, I call his work hermetic in that they existed by themselves. It had nothing to do with the storyline no. with Ruby <laughs> Keeler going on. You know that you just saw for the last eighty minutes. Yeah. It has nothing to do with. You're now in Busby Berkeley land. You can see when the film takes off as if it develops wings. It, <laughs> it goes in a new direction. My God, look now what you're seeing on the screen. And back then, to those audiences, unexperienced, to that kind of showmanship and that kind of visual treat, they were enthralled. And during the Buy a Waterfall number in Footlight Parade, they took their hats off and threw it up in the air like a jester is, I can't believe it. Wow. And it was that's amazing. the kind of response he at Busby Berkeley elicited back in those days. Did he direct, so he directed Gold Diggers, not only, did he, did he direct 33 or 35? No, he, his first film where he did uh, directing on his own for the entire film and all the musical numbers, he did it all in Gold Diggers of 1935, featuring his probably his most famous musical number, The Lullaby of Broadway. Talk about a film within a film. It's, a 13-minute sequence I know. that is absolutely astounding. And that's what I would watch for the musical because I just, I don't know, you know, but I do love his numbers. Uh, he's amazing. That's all I can say. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I, and the more you see his work, you know, then he goes in other directions, by the way. Everyone loves The Wizard of Oz, right? Right. You know, does everyone know that Busby Berkeley directed the if I only had a brain number for Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow. Not I. I don't even remember yeah. reading that in your book. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I not only mention it, but the fact is, you know, the, the number itself was trimmed heavily for the official release. But if you can find any new Blu-ray of The Wizard of Oz, Busby Berkeley's original If I Only Had a Brain number is included as an extra on Blu-rays and other DVDs of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, you see stuff you never saw before. You see the scarecrow spinning like a like a tornado, bouncing <laughs> be, between the fence back and forth, uh, and flying through the air, and all kind of fun stuff that Berkeley did that was unfortunately cut. But it is available, and you don't have to be a scholar to see it. It's available on Blu-ray. Oh, cool! That would be. Would be really fun to watch Ray Bolger doing a tornado dance. I would love that. Oh, spinning around like a dervish. Really <laughs> I would love it's it. really fun. Okay. Oh, this one. I love this. That uh petting in the park. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Yeah, Buzz was asked specifically about the term and and the musical number, and they say you know, Buzz, wasn't that, that number a little risque? And he said, well, how else do you meet girls? <laughs> yes, true. And that's what he said. And that's what that's a quote that I used in the book. Bad boy, uh, bad girl. And he's right, you know. That's exactly it. And I like the idea that you needed like a uh, a can opener to, uh, <laughs> to take off, you know, the, the chastity collar, you know, that everyone had to wear. Uh, you know, it, it was just made for, you know, can you imagine that little risqueness about the number? It's perfect Busby Berkeley material. And uh, with little Billy Barty there as the little boy who is, you know, with the evil eye. He, he's quite good in the musical number, and it's a lot of fun. And by the way, uh, Pet in the Park was supposed to be the final number of Gold Diggers of 1933, until uh, the number Remember My Forgotten Man was viewed. And they said, this goes at the end of the picture. It's too powerful to put it anywhere else. It is. But it was, it was good. But also, um, the Hayes and uh, the Catholic Church, yes. where they were doing, uh, they did not, they thought Busby's dancing stuff and the, the girls were, you know, kind of, it was... You know, like yes. lewd, crude, and lascivious, and they weren't yeah. liking it. Darn it! So yes, <laughs> yes, they they you know there was a code, but it wasn't being enforced. And then Busby Berkeley came around with all his shenanigans, and by the time of the film Wonder Bar, that's it. You know, the code was stamped on tight. And things were never the same. So you can always blame Busby Berkeley for causing the code to be in finally enforced. Oh, I uh, love that. No I Wonder love Bar that. is one of my favorite films. Yeah. It's 
not screened often, and it is very controversial in some of the musical numbers and very risque in others. And I just love the film, and its I think it has some of the greatest Busby numbers he's ever done. Yeah, I love that film, too. And I like it, even though it's a musical. I like Wonder Bar, because it has so many different things in it, and I, I just mm-hmm. think it's a great movie. Okay, so let's get to this part here. So he went, he's divorced, you know, from Myrna. He goes to this, uh, Ho got married. Uh, somebody, was it a studio head or somebody um, that had 200 people at this party? Some, somebody got married. <laughs> Some big shot got married, and he had a huge pop, uh, party at his home, and about 200 people were there. Oh, yes, it was a producer at Warner Brothers, yeah. yes. It was a studio party. And there were a bunch of big stars there, and Busby was there. And Busby was known. He even uh, he was spied on, you know, to see how his drinking was and things like that because he was pretty notorious for being a big drinker as well. Right. Yes, this was a party, you know, where there were no cameras. This was not a public event. No, this I agree. Was, you know, the people at Warner Brothers, just like your coworkers, you know, just Buzz like knew me. everyone. They knew him. Sometimes they worked together, sometimes yeah. not. But they were all there, and they're all, ha- you know, it's the beautiful people celebrating at a party in Hollywood. Well, there's in nothing wrong days. with that at all. That's no, not, oh, not, that's no. absolutely not what I'm talking about. But he was yeah. drinking, and this yep. is when the tragedy happened. He, That's correct. He was going to see somebody, right? Like some jazz guy right, or something? Gonna, he was going to see a band leader about whatever he might have been seeing, maybe something about a future film or something. Yeah. But, you know, he had to leave the party, and, uh, you know, he drove down uh, the winding highway of uh, the California highway and uh, and got into a horrible, horrible accident. First, it blew out one tire, had it fixed, got back on the road, and the second tire blew out, believe it or not causing the car to swerve. Uh, He could do nothing but crash into an oncoming vehicle uh, that in itself, that oncoming vehicle flipped over. Uh, Four four people uh, uh, were killed as a result. Uh, Berkeley himself crawled away from the accident. Uh, His car, his little roadster was a wreck, uh, a total wreck, I should say. And uh, uh, he was brought into the courtroom uh, on a stretcher uh, where in this case they say, you know, that drinking was involved and people died as a result. Now, in those days, and even these days, uh, if that was the case, that is usually considered manslaughter right. in the courts. Ve- vehicular manslaughter. Vehicular manslaughter. You know, in other words, he was drunk, and that usually means, you know, you got to serve hard time. Yes. Whatever it may be, it's not murder. But it is, it's it's pretty bad. It's and horrible, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you can go away for, for a long time. Uh, but the judge in this case, it was really strange when it came to the Busby Berkeley, because here was Busby Berkeley at the height of his fame, Grace, 1935, Warner Brothers then. Nobody was bigger directing his kind of stuff than Berkeley himself. The height of his fame gets into this car accident is wheeled into the courtroom on a gurney. I mean, stretcher. how dramatic, huh? <laughs> Abs- absolutely. And I wonder if he wasn't uh, somehow given that oh, as sure. a stage direction. <laughs> I think so. From, <laughs> from a shifty lawyer that he had. Oh, but yes. The point is the judge did not suffer these Hollywood big shots gladly. I think that's and good. So, fair is fair. Uh, it, well, how about more than, uh, than what is fair? Remember... Uh, he didn't plan on killing anybody. It's not like he had first-degree murder where he he went out with a gun to shoot somebody. He killed people as a result of an accident that could be due to his drinking. Could, but, uh, not just in your book, it even says that he was speeding. True. So the direct, I mean, the uh, judge in the case who didn't suffer these Hollywood big shots gladly upped the charge against Busby Berkeley for manslaughter to murder in the second degree, which is the same as murder in the first degree without the premeditation. Right. It is serious. Hard time for murder, multiple deaths, a Hollywood big shot thinking maybe his money would glide him through. And so in the height of his career, he was forced to take the stand multiple times in multiple cases, three trials, litigating it over and over again. 
Uh, it was a nightmare. And at the same time, while he's going through all that trouble, his kind of musical was changing in Hollywood. So here he was, he was kept away from what he could do. The studios really wanted to keep a hands off. They didn't want to be linked to him. Uh, they got Jerry Giesler, who was the lawyer to get in those days, if you needed to get out of something that was discomforting. And a second degree murder charge certainly was that. Uh, Jerry Giesler, I give a, a brief biography of him in the book to show what a hotshot lawyer he right. was back in those days. Errol Flynn, right? He dealt with uh, him. Among others, yeah. uh, among others, and Chaplin and, and, and others, you know. And he was still, uh, you know, applying his trade many years after, but he was Busby Berkeley's lawyer, and, uh, you know, he earned his money. Mama was uh, there every day. Mom came yes. in. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, there's a great uh, photo that I keep in the book of uh, a picture that was taken to them right after the final verdict yes. was read in, in the third trial yeah. where he finally was acquitted. But, uh, you know, how do you ever escape that? And like I said, musicals were starting to change. And at that time, Busby Berkeley's career started to change. And so Warner Brothers uh, bid him adieu after he did uh, just a couple of other pictures and then he went on back to uh, MGM, where he really got his first start, working for Leo the Lion and starting to work on uh, pictures with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, then the hottest actor and actress in the nation. Yes, but he also, I didn't know, well, I didn't know like anything, but Buzz fell hard for Carol Landis. I didn't know that. He, he put her in, he saw her, or she was already in cast in one of the shows he was doing. Oh, she was another pretty face in the passing parade that Buzz took a fancy she for. She was gorgeous, really. Oh, she was, and quite troubled, oh, of course. Oh, man, I, read, I, had a, I did a show about her. Her biographer was on, and it, she was something. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yes, uh, Rex Harrison uh, was who she was involved with at the end, but Berkeley was, had to face an alienation of affections charge. I know, but it was so <laughs> weird. And also, Mom didn't like Carol. And, and um, did not. Yeah. It did not. Because she had a past, a shady past, I put in quotes. Oh, a yes. shady past. Yeah, allegedly she was a prostitute in San, in San Francisco. There was a scuttlebutt. And also that she was a casting couch kid, too. That she Or she had a specific, you know, like four o'clock appointment with one of the That's studio heads or something. But, you know, oh, she that, was... That could be Daryl Zanuck. I, I think, think Daryl Zanuck yes. could be the four o'clock guy I've heard about many times. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes, but she hadn't seen this husband in so long. Oh, it had to go into the papers. Of course, scandal rocks Busby Berkeley again, <laughs> as it does so many times in his life. But yes, and then Berkeley yelling back, yeah, you know, I'll sue him. He'll never take me. I mean, it was, it, it was crazy, you know. In fact, he did fall hard uh, for her as well. So, you know, Carol Landis had a sad life. Uh, was found, unfortunately, of uh, uh, of suicide uh, through pills, uh, found that way with pills clutched in her hand. Uh, it was a sad thing altogether. One only wishes they could have talked to Buzz and said what he thought about her off the record, but uh, that was impossible to do. But he did fall for her hard, and there was a, a scandal, of course, as so many things in Busby Berkeley's life. Yeah. You'll uh, never get me, associated. buddy. <laughs> that, that was great, but he it. said, I'm not giving anything to him and he didn't have any reason to and he won the case and i think people would yeah. but you know the public after his their perception of him changed greatly right they weren't uh, necessarily can, cheering him on with, as can happen with any actor who falls from grace that could happen uh, more than that though it, it's the directors he berkeley was always ready to put on a good show you did you didn't have to be chorus girls and top shots he liked doing drama he liked doing those barnyard backyard barnyard musicals with mickey and judy he liked it he wasn't under any constraints to do you know his old style uh, gold diggers pictures he was kind of glad to move on beyond that you know if you needed something that was spectacular in every way shape or form you had the gangs all here in the 1940s his color technicolor extravaganza of the mind 
<laughs> so Busby Berkeley was always willing to work even at the very end, even as an older gentleman. He was still raring to go if only somebody would have given him a chance. Uh, yes. Um, so he marries this woman named Claire. Claire James. So who was 15. By, and she was with him for a long time, seven years. Yeah. And um, she was 22 at the time, and he was, what, 46? And um, 40-something. Anyway. When they well, yeah, she was, 20, she was 22 when she married. Um, she files for divorce after just a little bit of time, and uh, she she drops the divorce, and then she files for an annulment, and she said she was married in name only, and that he didn't live with her, and they granted her the annulment. Again, you know, is anyone surprised? You know, especially those in Hollywood, you know, maybe that kind of news did make, you know, the scandal rags back in those days, you know, five or 10 cents on the newsstand. Right. Uh, but a lot of that's a lot of those stories kind of stayed within Hollywood, within the Hollywood community. They're, they, of course, did not have that 24 seven Internet spying on everything you do everything. all day, yeah. all night. <laughs> you know, so the fact that his scandals even made it out of Hollywood ought to tell you something that he had some big scandals in his life. Yes, he did. And boy, oh, boy, the IRS scandals. How depressing. Oh. I mean, uh, first he had one for 1,000 something, then 26 oh. for 26,947, and then he had another one that was even more than that. I, I think I wrote it down, but it oh. was a lot of dough. It ended up oh. being like a hundred. Oh yeah, hundred twenty thousand. Extravagant spendthrift who had a a large bankroll to pull from. But if you're a millionaire and then you have a million dollars in bills, then what have you gained? Yeah. So you know he was uh, he lived fast. He bought all kind of things, certainly for his mother. Bought real estate, spent it on call girls. Had uh, really? You I don't know, even. I don't think that was in your book. Yeah, no children, but man, he had alimony, and uh, uh, like I said, he was a spendthrift uh, at a time where, you know, hey, the, the cash flow was there, why not? But eventually, when the spigot gets turned off, the bills remain, and uh, one thing leads to another, and that's why so many Hollywood stars, they, they could use a lesson in basic bookkeeping, uh, yeah, and I thank God for his mother, who actually, uh, you know, purchased a lot of real estate. Uh, in her and her son's name, just in those cases, and he really needed it, and he drained his finances even then after his mother passed away. So he was terrible with money, uh, and always was. Yes, and uh, he had a marriage to Marge. Um, he again was arrested. I guess he had a flat tire or something, and these four men came to help him, and he was driving in his car, and a cop so, came up. And and he was in his pajamas, well. right? He was oh, in his pajamas, yes. yes. And so yes. he said, hey, give me a break. The cop said, no way, buddy. You're getting arrested. So he was arrested. And then, uh, Yes, I, I had to go back to the police records to find out. Also, it was mentioned a couple times, but only in local papers. That's the kind of story that didn't make it out big. But true, it shows just you know how in many ways he was kind of pathetic at the end when liquor liquor took over uh, and unfortunately the jobs weren't there uh so you know and he was kind of a has-been at that age uh but he was given jobs here and there through the 50s and there was uh, a resurgence Esther. when uh, the films yeah. of esther williams uh, came about yes i saw her on a documentary that mostly did the things and she was talking about how she had to die in between, yeah, the circle of people, just like the stunt lady said earlier about the, the scene she had to do. And they were worried that they're going to dive into and hit one of them. And, you know, there'd be, like, real damage here. And, and she said she wanted to use, which, of course, wouldn't have worked, a dummy, Esther Williams, to go down. How would that work? I just don't oh. know. But um, he said, no, you can do it. And she was scared, but she did it. She hit right there in the middle. And um, it, it was funny. She, she like, I didn't want to do it. I was scared to death. Um, well, in Million Dollar Mermaid, uh, you know, that, that had, of course, that classic Busby Berkeley top shot way, way up high. And Esther Williams was going to jump in the circle surrounded by right. uh, 
you know, the swimmers circling in the water. There. Right. But she was wearing a very heavy uh, kind of crown on her head. Yeah. And on her way down, you know, Buzz is just sitting, you know, yelling through his megaphone, come on, Esther, jump. And they're waiting to get the shot. And she does jump, but she realizes halfway down that her head is so heavy with this crown on there. When she hits the water at full speed, her neck snapped and almost paralyzed her for oh life. God. In fact, she slowly came up to the top of the water as that. the lights were shut off and everyone was calling for lunch. And thank God there was, uh, you know, somebody on set who realized the emergency that was undertaking. She didn't with even Esther mention Woods. that. Wow. She might and, have mentioned uh, it in her biography, but in this thing, she, she absolutely didn't. did. Yeah. She absolutely did. And uh, it, it was horrific. And she let Berkeley know, you know, and also she put her life on the line when she was pregnant uh, for the film Easy to Love, where she's being pulled by the boats, uh, doing some water skiing. And there's some metal poles in the water that she almost hit head on at 40 miles an hour. So, you know, Buzz put her in jeopardy, but she loved the guy. She said, this is a guy who has vision. This is a guy I could work with. Yeah, and did. so their numbers are, are really spectacular back in those days. Shows what Berkeley did after all his, you know, horrible things that happened to him in his private life. So well, in look, the 50s, yeah. he was still making this kind of movie. Which was wonderful. And I just want to say we should get into something that was so horrible for him. His mother, and she had a lot of um, problems and she was paralyzed. And, and then she got cancer and he took care of her. He couldn't, you know, he was like distraught he couldn't d deal with it that's when he was arrested for the drunk driving in his pajamas and um a poor he his gertrude died and yeah. um he was devastated he was beyond devastated because they had this like bond like you know they were codependent like you say in your book like really jump like they were they were you know. and, and imagine him, he was not the kind of down-to-earth man that could handle such a thing. He was a show business baby. He was uh, spoiled to the point of unrealizing what his money did and what he can do with it. Right. And so he really didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with his mother's death. And so he felt his not only career was over and the IRS was barking and his bills were overdue. Uh, that was enough to send him over the line. Yes. And, and, and really attempt suicide. Found by his servant at the time on the bathroom floor. Uh, he had cut himself, cut his wrists, and the ambulances came, and, uh, you know, he needed some time in a hospital and convalescence. And with hat in hand, he went back to some of his bosses at the studio and just begged for work. He eventually got it, but he was close to losing it all uh, after his mother passed away. Well, that was so sad. And, and, you know, you would think that. I mean, I guess, why couldn't they have put him in a better place? You know what I mean? Because he was, it was so crowded that he was actually in the hall. You know, he was sleeping who, in the hall. Yeah, who, who can question what went on? in the insanity of that morning true. and after everything yeah, because he was forcibly restrained that's that's so true they didn't have time to do something okay we're going to put him in this lovely little place and he really didn't have anyone because in your book you say it was the first time he was alone and he was like oh i can't deal yes. with this i can't yeah he, he didn't have the emotional maturity of you know of a blue collar person you know who really you know it goes to work, has the same life, has the kids, right. has the family, a life. This is Busby Berkeley. He right. lived above it all, uh, you know, in, in a world of privilege. And sometimes when that privilege is taken away, uh, these people just don't know how to handle themselves, as is the case today. <laughs> you know, check out, you know, the latest scandal oh, sheet. Oh, I agree. They're Hollywood. even worse. They're worse. Let's face <laughs> They're it. They're worse. And, and, you know, everybody's got a scandal sheet everywhere. <laughs> anyway, she also, uh, he, he married two other times i believe and one was just a quickie and then you say he marries she was his friend right well an old family friend uh named etta 
And uh, she was just one of those, you know, how do you say, how can a man have a friendship with a woman and not have it turn into anything more? Oh, well, Buzz really had that relationship. She was a good, intelligent person, not in Hollywood, didn't look like a chorus girl. No, uh, but you know she, had, she reminded you know, me of his mother a little bit. Yeah, there was kind of sense mother. of followed her. Right. Yeah, it's, and, and, and after you read the book, don't you believe that Busby Berkeley needed another mother? Yes. Just like Anna? Yes. Exactly. That's why he was happy. Yes. That's why she was the wife for him through all those years. She was there. She wasn't a Hollywood go-go no. girl. Mm. Come on. This, this is just what he needed. He said to her, you know, let's do what we should have done all, a long time ago. You know, they loved each other. They got married. This was not Buzz and his showgirls. No. Okay. I'm so happy that he finally found. So they married in 58. And they were married until he died, which is wonderful. It um, was there to, she was there to the very end and is buried next to him in the uh, uh, Palm Desert uh, Cemetery. Right. And he sold after mom died. He sold his, he had to, he had to sell the mansion that you had gone through. It was a fire sale. It was a fire sale. He lost a ton of money. He wasn't there. You know, he, he didn't know about money or anything. He just wanted to get out. Uh, you know, uh, of his financial entanglements. Yes. And so he did with the best of his ability. He didn't retire rich. I know how much money was in his bank account when he passed away. Uh, so it, it was it was not, you know, but he, again, uh, on the record, said he was never happier than in that small house in Palm Desert yes. with Adam during those final years. That's and, hey, who am I to judge him? So what? He doesn't live in that mansion. Who He's cares? happy. That's exactly yeah. right. And how come when he really needs a mansion? he was in that mansion, he was miserable. Exactly. I don't know why anyone <laughs> needs a mansion. It's only, it's really about, you know, showing off. You know, because if you're, well, it's just one person and your mom, do you need a mansion? Or, you know, married. I don't get it. But that's, it's Hollywood, right? You have to keep up appearances. You know right. how it is. Yes. But it was nice that he, and he felt peaceful when he had that smaller home. And it's sort of like a breath of fresh air that he didn't have to, you know, come up with all this moolah anymore. Because he did have to pay all his mom's medical bills. And he, he yeah. just was like schwoomped with all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but, but fortunately, you know, he, it, there was enough there. And then there was a, a renewed interest in Busby Berkeley in the night late 1960s that yes. brought him back to New York, mm -hmm. uh, however briefly. But, you know, back in those days, you know, the midnight movies at college campuses and stuff were those Busby Berkeley pictures of the 30s. Uh, they were, you know, what you would, you know, these days a midnight movie is kind of like a horror film or something really out there and strange. Right. But back in the 60s, the midnight movies were those gold digger pictures that were never really shown on television in the 60s. And they found a brand new audience of college kids. And so the name Busby Berkeley was then reinvigorated, so much so that Broadway producers decided, let's bring the guy back for no known Annette that we're staging on Broadway. We'll bring Ruby Keeler back, his old star, and have the value-added name of Busby Berkeley attached to our project. And so they did. They brought him to New York, yes. and Buzz was famous once again for a brief time. Hey, did you see that? Did you see him when he was doing that? And and uh, he was so cute. He's sitting in the stage, and all these showgirls go by, and he's like, he, he didn't pick the showgirls. This was just more, he didn't really uh, direct a lot of it. But it was no. more to to put his name there. And he was adorable, really, sitting there like that. And he was an elderly gentleman at that time. He really didn't even look anything like his not, younger self. Not some even men, close. Some men get a little gray hair or a little heavier, but Berkeley really changed. His appearance changed it's enough amazing. for the better. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And, uh, you know, I call that chapter of No Nanette uh, the figurehead for a good reason. A figurehead is a man with a title who has nothing to do. Right. And that's what Berkeley had. They brought him along for his name alone. His name was attached to the project. The producers tired of him very quickly. He really did nothing but sit and, and sometimes offer comments. He made himself available for television and local news in New York. Uh, and so the name Busby Berkeley was exciting. But in reality, he had very little to do, very little control. And so the whole experience was kind of a big, fat nothing. And when it was done, he went back to California, never to return. And yet, he and he lived until 19, 
76. And what yes. was, like, I'm, what was his, uh, how did he die? Uh, it was like arterial sclerosis. I found the actual death certificate that spelled it out. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have that in front of me, the exact diagnosis, but it was, you know, uh, multiple things, but it was arterial sclerosis. Uh, Etta found him uh, passed away uh, one morning. Uh, it's, he didn't have a long lingering illness, nothing like that. He passed away in his sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, he was not a well man, but he didn't look uh, uh, very well in the footage I've seen taken around the no-no Nanette. Uh, right, he, he didn't. I mean, he was cute little old guy, but really, and, I think with all his the turmoil in his life and all, all, you know, money problems and so many things going on, it aged him. And also the alcohol, you know, that ages you too. So some people yeah, don't age well. True. He just didn't, you know, that just wasn't his thing. And even, you know, on the headstone in the cemetery, it doesn't even talk about his Hollywood no. directors. Isn't that what he it wanted? It talks about him as that being a lieutenant. Yes. And uh, that was, is in what World he was World War One. yeah. World War exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, he and, was fascinating. And Etta, and Etta, his wife, her headstone says wife of Busby. That's so then talk about loyal. I'm so happy he had that in the end. And he did need her. And honestly, she did remind me of younger pictures of his mom. Not to be, you know, like rude yeah. or anything, but. It's a happy ending, really, of a disquieting life. It, it's a very happy ending. They were very happy with each I'm just, I think it's nice. Good. <laughs> I well, I think we covered everything I in an hour. I think we did. We did great, Jeffrey. I'm so glad we finally got together. And everybody, you must, must, because, of course, we didn't go through everything in the book. Buzz, The Life and Art of Busby Berkeley. And it is fabulous, Jeffrey. And Thank I will you. link it up when I post this so that they, you know, I'll link up your page so that they can see the book, get right to it. And um, I highly recommend. Good luck with the movie. Fingers crossed. Both fingers. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I had a fabulous time talking to you. And you were wonderful. And Buzz was fascinating. And I want to thank you so much for being patient with me. And thank you, everybody. Thanks, Jeffrey. You were wonderful. Thank you, Grace. A pleasure. Okay. And thanks, everybody. Take care. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Jeffy.